Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. I know it's time change Sunday, but everyone hear some noise out there. How many of you guys got a little bit? How many of you guys got up a little bit late? You're like, man, you didn't realize you were running today. I know that happened uh, just one of those days. Time change Sunday is one of those Sundays where we're just, uh, it's rough. Yeah, that's that's why we'll say it. But I'm so glad you're here and you're up and early. And, and uh, a couple things I want to announce. Got some exciting things happening here at Freedom Church. I wanted to mark, you, mark this down on your calendar. March 24th, we have a class called Christ-Centered Parenting. How, who wants to shape your child to be everything that Christ wants you to be? Man, how many of you guys' parents have it all figured out? Okay, if you don't have it all figured out like the rest of us, this is an opportunity to learn and grow and help to be the parents that God wants us to be. So March 24th. Also... Man, you'll be hearing about this, but there are some cards up there. Easter Sunday's coming up. We have three services, and if you're watching online, we want you to come. I know some of you guys haven't got vaccinated yet, so 9 o'clock will be our uh, mass required. Then 10 and 11, 15 will be a mass optional like it is right now. But man, here's the thing about Easter Sunday. It's going to be amazing. The testimonies we're working on are going to be incredible. It's going to be a life-changing service. Plus, we are releasing our first song that Easter Sunday that's been written and developed here at Freedom Church. You don't want to miss that Sunday. It is going to be awesome. Today, we have a special friend from college with me. He's going to be sharing some of the things that God's doing in his life. So give it up for my friend, Danny Lund. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Benito and Jennifer. It's good to be here at Freedom Church. Thank you for letting me share. My name is Danny. My family has had the privilege of serving in Northern Asia the last 15 years. We work among uh, university students in a city of about 13 million. We work among 2 million university students. Uh, I just want to share with you one day in the English Cafe, a young uh, student, a freshman, came in and he asked me, he said, teacher, is the Bible a Western book? And I said to him, have you read the Bible? He said, no, I've, I've heard of parts of it. I've read parts of it. I said, well, why, why don't you go to your library and uh, check out the Bible in your language and read, the, read it from cover to cover? Then I'm really interested to know, let me know when you're done reading it, if you still think it's a Western book. And I... Uh, Within three months, I saw him one night as he entered the English cafe, he had this huge grin on his face. And he came running up to me and he said, teacher, this book is not a, a Western book. He said, I can understand it, I can relate to it. He said, would, with a desperate tone in his voice, he said, would you please, please tell me the meaning of these parables, these stories that Jesus shares in the gospels. Would you please tell me the meaning? I had the privilege of meeting with him several weeks over lunches explaining the meaning of the stories that Jesus would share. In John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says this, Some say four more months than the harvest, but I tell you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are white to harvest. May God open our eyes today to see the lost. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Danny. Man, we're going we're gonna to partner with Danny, and we're going to join him in monthly help to 
continue in his work out there. One of the things that I want you to do, if you feel like God's put it on your heart to, to give to that, just at the end of service, drop it in uh, one of those uh, drop box giving boxes in the back or just go online and give towards mission, uh, uh, on, the, on the giving tab right there. We'll make sure the money goes to Danny. We're so thankful for all that he's done. So let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us as we go with the service. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that we get a partner with great people like Danny. Uh, and Lord, may we continually always, Lord, lift our eyes up and see that they're white for harvest. And Lord, your word declares that we would pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send workers into the harvest field. Amen. Firsts are always memorable, aren't they? You'll never forget your first car. Mine was a 1986 Vet. I want to show you a picture of it. Uh, not a, check this out, not, not a Corvette, but a Chevette. It was my grandma's car. It topped speeds of 45 miles an hour unless you're going downhill. But it couldn't turn well because I remember coming downhill a little faster than I needed to and getting my first accident in my first car. Uh, I still remember my first girlfriend. Her, her name was Lynn Jackson. I was in seventh grade. She was in eighth grade. I felt like I was the man dating an older lady. We would meet after school. We would talk, and then we would hold hands. And then first we would like, and then I remember, I remember the first time we intertwined hands, and it was so awesome. And, and I remember one day she wanted to walk me to basketball practice. She never did that, so she's walking me to basketball practice. And as we're walking, I'm like, oh, yes. She leaned in, and she gave me my first kiss. I was all right with that. But then something a little disgusting happened. She started licking my tongue. It was so disgusting. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm not used to that. I remember going to basketball practice, feeling going to throw up. I couldn't run, and it was horrible. Felt violated. First are memorable, aren't they? I still remember the first time I saw Jennifer. It was love at first sight. Man, I remember what she was wearing. I remember where in school she was. I remember like, literally, hallelujah, the windows, man, the, the windows of heaven opening down, shining down on her, the chorus of the angels. And it was love at first sight for me, it was at least. She didn't notice me till four months later when I finally gathered the courage to take her on our first date. And that first date led to a first kiss. And I was engrossed out about that kiss, let me just tell you. And that kiss led to marriage. That led to our first kid, and we bought our first house, I remember, in the Garland area, North Dallas. And I remember back in the day, our first house cost $119,000 in a nice suburb. How many of you guys would like to buy a house for $119,000 right now? Those were the days. But, man, firsts are always something we'll always forget. Your first kiss, your first car, your first girlfriend, your first home, your first child. But do you remember the first time that God moved in your life in a supernatural, powerful way? He can and he wants to and he's willing to. And this morning, we're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus performed as we continue our series in the Gospel of John. And it's recorded in John chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this. I know the moderator just read that in the bumper video, but I'm just going to read a portion of it so I can kind of break this down to you. And the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Verse 2 says, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And verse 3 says, when they were there, the wine ran out, and his mother said to them, they have no more wine. The story goes on to say in verse 7 that Jesus fixed this problem. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, it had now become wine. But I want to draw your attention to verse 11 specifically. 
This is the first of his signs. Circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, that word signs. That Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory. And his disciples, circle this word too, believed in him. The word believed in the book of John appears a hundred times. And we realize that sometimes God begins to do this miracle. And what happens because of this miracle, his disciples begin to put their trust, their faith in Jesus. But I want you to notice verse 11 about this miracle. This wasn't just a miracle. What does the author of John tell us? What does John tell us? It's a sign. See, John records eight miracles in his Gospels. Only eight. But he says in John 21, 25, that if everything Jesus did were written down in a book, that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So there was a lot of things that Jesus did, but, G, but John chose these eight miracles as signs. The miracles that John tells us are not just random miracles, but they're signs. They're pointing beyond themselves to a greater reality. So let me tell you about the miracles of Jesus. Jesus did not prove he was the son of God by levitating and doing some David Blaine stuff. He didn't freeze himself in a block of ice in the middle of Jerusalem for six months. Every one of Jesus' miracles... The authors tell us were signs because they were pointing to something greater than just the random miracle itself. Let me just give you one example of that in John chapter 6. Jesus multiplied bread uh, and fish and fed 5,000 people. He took a, a Chick-fil-A meal and fed 5,000 people. And Jesus explained the point of this miracle isn't that he could do magic with bread and fish and he could do some party tricks, but that he was the bread of life. And that those who are spiritually starving can come and find him and have the deepest parts of their souls satisfied. And what happens is this. This first miracle is going to point us to the mission of Jesus and why he came to this earth. And at first glance, when you read this miracle, it doesn't seem like a big deal. In fact, Dr. Reynolds Price is a very prominent professor of English at Duke University. He put out a book when he translated the Gospels. In the introduction to the Gospel of John, he writes this, quote, If you were to read this, and you're a writer, and you think to yourself, you know this must have happened, he says. Because if you were inventing a biography of Jesus, you would never have invented for your inaugural sign a miraculous solution to a mere social embarrassment. He said, if this was really for Jesus' first miracle, I would have made something far more grandiose. So we know that the gospel's true because this is not the way that you would want to invent a character. So the way that this sits it up shows us the reality of the authenticity that these stories are actually true. See, if I were Jesus, this is what I would have done. I would have sent out a tweet. I would have had people meet me in downtown Jerusalem. Then I would have healed a bunch of people with no arms and legs. Then I would have them put it on Facebook, and I'll have him put it on Instagram and all over TikTok and have these videos. I'm like, yes, I'm here. Oh, yeah. Watch this. But Jesus didn't do that. First, first miracle, he didn't walk on water. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. He simply extended a wedding party. And here's the fascinating thing about this miracle. Most of the people that day didn't even realize it happened. Most of the people that day didn't realize it happened. Why? And I'll explain why as we look at this passage. By the way, this miracle shows us just how much Jesus values and blesses the covenant of marriage that he did his first miracle in marriage. Any society that honors, blesses, protects, fights for marriage will be blessed by God. That'll be a society that'll be strong. 
But anywhere marriage is devalued, denounced, redefined, and sexual immorality is embraced, that society will see decay. And that's one of the reasons that we are seeing decay in our culture right now like never before. There is an attack on the marriage covenant between a man and a woman as people are trying to redefine that. This is what caused the Roman Empire to collapse, decay from within. Socrates, I don't agree with him with a lot of stuff that he says, but he said this, the saga of a nation is the saga of its families written large. And that's why the enemy wants to attack marriages. That's why he wants to attack the nuclear family. Jesus' first miracle blessed marriage. But I want you to know, if you look back to Genesis, the devil's first deception in the Garden of Eden was to bring division between Adam and Eve's marriage. That's another message altogether. I don't want to go into that, but maybe I will preach that message. But according to verse 11, this miracle manifested the glory of God. What does that mean? Moses in the Old Testament is parallel to Jesus in the New Testament. Moses represented the old covenant of the law. Jesus represents the new covenant of grace. You remember the first miracle that Moses did in the Old Testament? By the power of God, he changed water into a blood. It was a sign of judgment and death. That's the law. Jesus is here in the New Testament. He's showing that I'm the true and better Moses. And the miracle that, Mo- Mo- that Jesus did is he changes water into wine. And wine was a sign of joy and new beginnings. See, the law brought death. But Jesus is saying, I am here to bring joy, new beginnings, and life. And I want you to see, Jesus took the cup of God's wrath and judgment. He shed his blood so that we could take the cup of communion and we can walk in the joy of God. Because what did the psalmist say? That there is fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord and because Jesus took the cup of our sin and now we can have communion with him and we can have the joy of walking with God forever and Jesus is showing hey I'm here and I'm a different type of Moses and I'm bringing a different way and I'm going to bring joy for everyone so powerful See, Jesus offers the new covenant. He is the true bridegroom who provides for his bride everlasting joy in the presence of God. So ultimately, how did it manifest the glory of God? It shows us the gospel in a powerful way. But I want us to unpack this miracle because it's so rich. So many lessons. And in this story, we will see how you can activate God's miracle work and power in your life. How do many of you guys want to see God do miracles in your life? This shows us powerful things. And you're going to see some lessons here that I have seen in my life personally activate God's miracle work and power. And I believe in this next season, we need to walk in God's power like never before. How many of you guys want to see miracles? How many of you guys want to do God, see God do amazing things and restore others? So let's pray that God speaks to us. I want everybody by your head to close your eyes. Say, Jesus, give me faith today. Open my eyes to see and my ears to hear. Lord, I want to see miracles. I'm tired, Lord God, of living this mundane life. I want to walk in the miracle work and power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, verse 2 says this. That Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. And I want you to think, Pastor Joel, didn't he preach a powerful message last week? Man, let's give it up. Pastor Joel, that was awesome, man. I was watching online. I buried my uncle, and it, but he just, man, I was just, oh, that was awesome, Pastor Joel. Man, no, man, we have some great communicators in this place, some great team. I'm so thankful for him and Pastor O.C. and our team. But, uh, man, but in last week, Jesus called his first disciples in the first chapter. 
And these men are going to turn the world upside down. And if you're calling disciples and you know you had three years with them, I would start teaching them lessons, having them read books, teaching them things. But what does Jesus do? He takes these men to go to a party. And I think Jesus gives us an example of a balance of life here. That we need to have fun. We need to enjoy every moment of life. We don't need to take ourselves too seriously. But here's what we see through this text. As we just live our lives, we will see many opportunities for God to use us in just living life. And while they're just at a wedding, just living everyday life, enjoying the moment, a need comes up. Verse 3 says this, that they ran out of wine. And many commentators I read this week have a hard time that Jesus performed such a menial miracle by turning water into wine. But think about this. To Jesus, every miracle is menial when you can create an entire universe. So nothing you're facing is too small that it doesn't concern Jesus. And if it matters to you, it matters to Jesus. Because even if it is small, even if it seems insignificant, even if it seems like God is just meeting a party trick for you, if it's important to you, it's important to God. And that's how much he wants to be part of every part of your life. It's powerful here. What a great comfort to us. We have a God that is concerned about refreshments at a wedding party. Cana was a small village nine miles away from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So Jesus most likely had a connection with his family. And Eastern and Western weddings are very different. And we have a need to kind of frame that to truly understand what's happening here. In Western weddings, the bride is the focus. Here comes the bride. It's all about the bride. In Western, in Western weddings, the groom's like a necessary evil. They just come sneaking through the corner. You know where he's at. doesn't even comb his hair. He's just there. He's just ready for the bride to be in there, right? All the attention's on the bride. But in the Eastern wedding, the groom's the focus. And that focus is usually the wedding party. And the groom would prepare for an entire year for this wedding party. He would build a house for them to live. He would save money for the feast to show that he was a good provider. And at the feast, they would celebrate for several days. They, they do this back in the east. When, when I was in India uh, planning a church there, man, I would see and hear a wedding celebration go on for weeks. And weddings would be the highlight for everybody. It, in that time, you didn't travel much. There wasn't vacations. They didn't have Airbnbs. Weddings is what everybody looked forward to going to. But for the wedding to go out, to run out of wine was a big deal because, man, this was like their vacation. This is where everybody was going to come and have fun. It was so serious. Commentators say it was like a crime. Not to mention it was a human, huge embarrassment. You would be looked down upon for the rest of your life, especially in an Eastern shame-based culture. Oh, that's the family. They ran out of wine. That was a black mark on your life forever. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, somehow finds out they have no more wine. She seems to have a relationship with the groom's family. And she knows that Jesus could help, even though she hadn't seen Jesus do a miracle yet. Why? How do you think she knew? Well, maybe it's because she had Jesus and she was still a virgin, right? That might have been a hint. Or an angel appeared to her and said, you know what? The son that you have is going to be the Messiah. That could have told her that this guy's a little special and could help in this moment. And as we unpack the story, I want you to notice Four attributes, four things that released God's miracle working power in the situation. The first one is found in verse 3. Jesus said to Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Miracles start when you take a knee to Jesus. 
Jesus does nothing without prayer. Prayer is the starting point in the launching pad of every single miracle. John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in response to prayer. Miracles start with believing that God can and will and wants to move in your life and you ask him for help. Do you believe that Jesus can and wants to and is willing? Whatever situation you're in, it might be a, your marriage. It might be a financial situation. It might be a problem with your family. Let me tell you, if you believe that God is willing, he is able. If it matters to you, it matters to him. And your miracle is just a prayer away. I've learned over the last couple years that the first thing you need to do is pray. I'm one of those guys that's a doer. I do, 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 and I pray later. But after getting slapped a couple times trying to plant a church by yourself, you realize you're not that cool and you can't do it. And God began to show me, Benito, before you do anything, I want you to pray. And I have been since 2017. And in that time, I've seen God move in my life in every single detail like never before. You guys remember? As the church, we, as we began to pray and fast, God began to move. At the end of 2017, we had $1,500 in the bank. Today, God has given us land in the heart of Round Rock, in the beautiful, right off the beautiful Brushy Creek. We're in the process of building. God willing, we're going to be in the building by the end of next year. It's a miracle, and it all started with prayer. And the first step to your miracle is prayer. And God cares about every detail we can take everything to him in prayer like i told you before if it's important to you it's important to him i've soon i've seen god i realize that god cares about every area of my life let me just give you one example that i've learned through this season i've, I've always had a heart for africa i love africa it's been a bucket list I love the people i love the culture i especially love the wild animals i love watching national geographic all the time my girls Friends come over and they just laugh at me like, Dad, why are you watching animals? Like, I love the narrator. It looks like they're giving people personalities and they make up these. I'm like, I'm like in there. Yes, I'm a lion. Mufasa. Like, it just, it's crazy. I just, I could watch animal documentaries for hours. And at the beginning of 2018, I was watching a movie called Black Panther. And when I watch movies, God speaks to me. That's why I love God at the movies. It's a powerful series, man. I'm, I mean, I know that Joe's family, you got saved when I was preaching the Avengers, and they've been here every week. That's awesome right there. How many of you guys know we've got to do another God at the movies series this year? But I love movies. And I remember playing at Frick's Brew House. Frick's Brew House, man. I hope they open that soon, man. I miss movies. I said, Lord, it would be awesome. I remember praying, would you just make a way for me to go to Africa? A month later, a missionary friend of mine that I went to college with, reached out to me and he invited me, Benito, I want you to come train local pastors in Africa and go to five different nations. And he said, somebody already paid for the trip. He says, they'll take care of the lodging, the meals, the travel when I get there. And they want to gift me with a bit. And they want to gift me when I get there. I want to, we want to take you in a safari. And also we want to give you a big game hunt. So where you can go over there, shoot a wildebeest or something and feed the villages. It was an epic trip. Let me, let me tell you, I saw monkeys, saw lions, saw impalas, giraffes, and elephants. It was an incredible time. I, man, it was, I, I, was, it, I was so close to these animals. You can literally reach out and touch them. See, let me tell you, it was something that when I had a dream about, and I just said a little prayer about that, and I said, God, would 
would you be able to? It was important to me. It was important to God. And within a month, I'm not saying God works all the time like that, but I know that God is a God that cares about the small details of our lives. And if God can gift me a trip to, man, do the things that I love to teach pastors and see animals, how much do you think God is willing to work in your life? Just saying. Just saying. Notice the next attitude after prayer. It's huge. Wholehearted obedience. Verse 5. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Like that word, whatever. Miracles begin in prayer, but they come to fruition through obedience. I mean, like how many know that sometimes when you say, God, whatever you want me to do, it don't make sense. And it's crazy. It'll scare you. And sometimes you might go bald and lose white hair, kind of like me right here. This process 12 years ago, God called me to plant a church in Round Rock. Jennifer and I to move to a city where we knew no one. Uh, we didn't have a job, no place to live. It didn't make any sense. But I said, God, whatever you ask, I'll do. And I can say 12 years later that the rewards of obedience far exceed the requirements. And because of our obedience, God has moved. Marriages have been restored. Addicts have been set free. Bodies have been healed. Non-believers have come to faith. Hundreds of people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes God will ask you to do something. And it's not going to make sense and it might be a grind and it might be a challenge but if you do whatever he asks you to do it is the breeding ground to God to move in your life here's my question what is God asking you to do what's Jesus asking you to do specifically look what Jesus asked his servants to do verse 6 nearby stood six stone water jars like the one up here the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing which each holding 20 to 30 gallons. These jars were used, and they were at every place. They were menial jars, and they were ceremonial jars because Jews had a lot of cleansing that they needed to do. So they'd wash their hands, and they'd wash their feet, and there was dirty skin and fungus and dirt. It was nothing huge about this thing, but it, this, this was a common unclean pot was a container for the first miracle that Jesus did. Man, and what is amazing is Jesus still uses unclean, undeserving miracles to carry his message to others. And not only does he use that, but he also uses servants. And here's the next thing that we, we, we think. Jesus said to his servants this, fill the jars with water. Miracles start with prayer. They are walked out through obedience, but they show up in the ordinary. In the ordinary moments. Jesus works through ordinary vessels and ordinary people. And he used, what's amazing to me, he doesn't use the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or even the disciples. He chose servants who did the most menial tasks. He didn't even involve his disciples in this first miracle. And I believe that Jesus did that very intentionally. Jesus uses servants, the most common person in the most common household item to perform his miracle and he says here's what i want to do i want to do something and i want to do something that is looks with insignificant a jar that is just for cleaning a jar that nobody thinks is significant the servants that nobody sees is significant because i look at i look beyond everything else and i use the ordinary and i use the overlook to do extraordinary miracles and he asked the servants to do something very simple. He says this, fill the jars with water. See, when God does something in your life, 
the first thing he does is he involves you in doing something ordinary. We can fill the water, we can fill the, the pots with water, but we can't change the water into wine. We can do the ordinary, but God can touch the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And I love verse 7. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The Bible says that they filled the jars. They filled them to the brim. They went all the way. This speaks to their faith. They had to carry these pots. They didn't have trucks. They didn't have a, a Toyota they can put this in the back of. Man, 20 to 30 gallons. This would be heavy. I would have filled it half ways. I wouldn't have filled it all the way up. Can you imagine having to carry this and you're just trying to move this around there, this ordinary pot and this ordinary servant, but the Bible says that they maximized their effort and they put everything that they had into it and they filled it to the brim as top as they could and water was splashing all over. But sometimes our work maximizes what God can do and sometimes we want to take it easy. Sometimes we want to let's hold back sometimes we'll say i'm just going to put it a quarter i'm going to put it halfway but what we do in the ordinary god begins to overflow because our vessel contains the miracle that god wants to do and i'm asking you how much are you putting in what god has called you to do it's the attitude i want to have when God asks me to do something, I want to do it all the way to the top. I want to do the ordinary to the brim. What a challenge to us. Sometimes God asks us to do ordinary things, and we think, I don't have time for that. Serve there. Be involved in that. Oh, ordinary stuff. I want to save my energy for some big supernatural thing, God. When you call me to the big time. So I'll just feel it up halfway. I'm just going to do, I'm going to wait for something big. And what we do is we wait for the opportunity. And we wait for the moment. And when God gives us an opportunity that's right in front of us, and we don't do it to the brim, and it's going to stop what God can do in our life. But I love the attitude of these servants. Man, and they did it all the way. And we think that God uses us. And when he uses us, that there has to be fireworks and flashing lights and goosebumps. But here's what I want you to see through this text. God works through the ordinary to do extraordinary things. Ordinary moms and dads taking time to investing in their kids. Pouring into them with devotion on an ordinary Monday and an ordinary Tuesday. Going through the grind of life. But who knows? Maybe the greatest thing that you do is not something you do, but someone you raise. What a powerful story by Danny. He's there, ordinary moment, giving an ordinary book. But who knows that that ordinary moment turned into an extraordinary miracle of bringing the life of Jesus to somebody who's never heard about it. The ordinary Ordinary greeters getting to church early, even on a time change Sunday. But smiling, putting their face on, greeting somebody. Because who knows, somebody, this, they're giving God one more chance. They're giving God one more opportunity. The last church they went to, everybody judged them. But this time, because a greeter is there to invest in them and pour into them and pray for them. Maybe this might be an ordinary moment that changes somebody's life forever. Ordinary teachers teaching Children, Bible stories for the first time. Do you realize? Man, let me just say this. If you're a kids worker, if you're a youth worker, you're teaching the stories of the Bible to these kids forever. 
You're marking them. You're pouring something deep in them that they'll never forget. It seems ordinary week after week, moment after moment. And here's what we want to want to do. We don't want to do the ordinary stuff. We want to do the extraordinary. We want to do the miracles. Oh, Lord, Mufasa, Jesus, send me to Hillsong concert. I want to have goosebumps. I want to see miracles. No, God, don't work like that, my friend. He works in the grind of the ordinary. Ordinary cafe workers creating an environment that makes people feel welcome. See, out of the ordinary, God does extraordinary things. Out of the mundane comes miracles. Lorraine is the name of an ordinary person that most people will never know. She was my Sunday school teacher. When I was in elementary, my parents didn't go to church. And I walked to the only Christian church across my house where I grew up. How, was that? How amazing is that? Nothing but Catholic churches, but there was one Christian church in my town, literally a rock's throw away. Talk about God's grace and mercy. I walked to that church every Sunday. And she had a Sunday school class, handful of students at best. But I remember every week she would tell us the stories of David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den. I remember telling me about Samson, the strong man. She had a felt board. I don't know if you guys remember those. She had a little chart on the wall with stickers. If you bring your Bible, you get a sticker. Memorize scripture, you get a sticker. You be quiet, didn't get that sticker, you know. <laughs> and if you got enough stickers, you would get candies. She put up with me. She bought prizes with her own money. She gave us, man, she would take us out of her own time to Pizza Hut and McDonald's, just hanging out with us, these little kids. It was the highlight of my day. And every time she got up there, and she got there early, and I remember being there early a couple times because I wanted some candy this week. I was ready with my memory verse. But I'd see her just around those chairs, weeping, praying, crying. Asking God. You would think she was talking to hundreds and hundreds of kids. There's only five kids that came in there. Looked really ordinary. Looked like no, it was no big deal. But it was in that class that I learned to memorize God's word. It was in that class that God put a hunger in my heart for him. Little Lorraine that in an ordinary class of a handful of students would be a future pastor, a future church planner. Today that her lessons would impact hundreds of people every week in Round Rock, Texas, that many people would continue to just go on because let me tell you, God uses the ordinary and does extraordinary things. What are you doing with the ordinary opportunities that God has given you? Can I share with you a concern that I have? Our kids have been out of church for a year. We could lose a whole generation. We're one generation away from losing faith. They're used to not going to church. They're used to not going to youth group. They're used to not valuing the things of God anymore. And some of them are out of our hand. But right now we have a chance. We got to get our kids back in church. If you're watching online, hey, let me tell you, they need something more than just your group because they're going to graduate college and they're going to know that their faith has to be bigger than your family. Their faith has to be bigger than just mom and dad. They're going to need to know that their faith goes way beyond there, that it goes around the world. You got to expose them to something bigger than yourself. And one of the things that's holding us back right now is, and I'm praying that God speaks to you, we only offer kids service in one service. We need more kids' ministry going on. 
So my prayer, and I pray, Lord, speak to somebody, Lord, to get involved and use your ordinary. We need more preschool workers. We need more kids' church workers. We need more youth leaders. Man, I'm believing after Easter, we're going to go back up and running, and we need our kids' ministries moving full forward because there is people there, our kids, there are future church planners. We're going to, we just can't offer just one. This is not just babysitting. We are training the next generation back there. So would you pray about that? Would you pray with me about that? Would you volunteer and be part of that? I want to show you how God uses the ordinary. People are making a difference in the ordinary. You don't even see them, but they're the real MVPs. They're the ones that carry the church. Last year when the lockdown came, man, even though there are so many unknowns about the viruses, they still put themselves in harm's way so you can get services in your living room and in your computer and in your laptop. They make sure today that our services run smooth. They spend countless hours. They get here earlier than anybody else. They leave later like the worship team, and they are our heroes. I want you to see some of these people that use God uses is an ordinary ways to do extraordinary things. Give it up for our media team. Thank you for all that you do, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Joel, the media team. You guys are amazing. See, in this miracle, I want you to see what releases a miracle. Prayer, wholehearted obedience that show up in ordinary moments. And number verse 8 is this. We're going to see faith-filled servanthood. Jesus said to them, Draw some out and take it to the master of the feet, the feast. So underline this next phrase, so they took it. If you read carefully these verses, it tells us how the miracle works and how it happened. They draw some water out from the banquet, and it was still water, and they pull it out, it become wine. So we see right here is this. The amazing part of this miracle is that it happened again and again and again and again. As they were drawing the water out, it was water. As they took it, it became wine. Here's what we want. It's, it's kind of commentators tell us. It's like when Jesus kept breaking the bread. It's that same type of the same type of process. Jesus would break the bread and break the bread. It wasn't just piles. So many times we want God to go ahead of us and do a huge miracle. But do you realize there's faith with what we got to do? Sometimes, man, God just didn't turn, Jesus just didn't turn all everything into wine right away. He did it gradually. They had to continually, every day, get the cup. And as they got the cup, man, they, oh, Lord, I hope this turns into man. Can you imagine the, the stress and the pressure? But as they walked with all that, moment by moment, day by day, every miracle that they saw, they knew God was going to come through. And that's how we learn with God. Okay, God, I'm scared. I'm going to take this. It happened. Okay, wow. Okay, I'll do it again. Oh, yeah. I'll do it. All of a sudden, it matures our faith, and we know if God said it, he's going to do it, and he builds faith with us in those moments of servanthood. We want to see the miracle right away, but it didn't happen. They had to take a risk. And let me tell you this. There's no such thing as no risk faith. You got to take a risk. The servants had to have this continual trust, faith that Jesus was going to move, and that's what it means to follow Jesus. Day after day, week after week, moment after moment, prayer after prayer, you keep being faithful. You keep trusting God. You keep saying, hey, I'm going to serve again this Sunday. I'm going to, I'll get up there. I know it seems like I'm going to preach again one more time. I'm going to get involved in it again. Lord, every single time I'm going to move again. I'm going to keep on going. What times, so many times we just stop in this process. 
and we stop what God can do in our lives. But God wants to move in our lives in a powerful way. And what happens next is amazing. Look at verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water had now become wine, but he did not know where it came from. How crazy is that? He did not know where it came from. But it says this circle, underline this. Though the servants knew who had drawn, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Here's the truth. Servants see the miracles. Look at this. A huge crowd is there. Everybody's celebrating. Jesus has just performed his miracle. And what's amazing to me, the Bible says the majority of the people that were there didn't real, even realize that there was a miracle. Most of them missed the miracle. But if you want to see a serve, if you want to see God move, start serving. Because servants see miracles. People walk in and they see a church that's about to build. But what they don't see is the fasting, the prayer that many of you did. What they don't see is the sacrifice. They didn't see how many of you guys gave sacrificially. You didn't go on vacation to, because you, and you didn't get that new car, but you gave so we can purchase the land. And they don't, they don't see all that. They just say, wow, it's exciting. Look what God is doing. You know what happens? I look at some of our elders in here. I look at Ray and I look at RJ and we look at last year and we saw we had a record year. But I remember having an elders meeting and being blown away and said, Look, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? This is such uncertain times. And we got together and we prayed and we said God we're going to commit to you and literally we felt the power of God in that moment as we were praying right there right before we go to the pandemic a year ago people don't see those prayers people don't see the behind the scenes next year at this time people will walk in and they'll see a brand new building they'll see people coming to Christ but they didn't see that there was a moment we just had $1,500 in the bank they didn't see that there was a time when we needed $120,000 in a month they didn't see where we're at now. They'll just see the miracle. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to make a bold ask for those watching online and those here. I want to invite you to be part of the miracle. We need servants like never before. We need more people serving as greeters and ushers and life group leaders. Right now we have about 55 people serving. By the time we start our new building, and we got to get in there to preserve the harvest. We need 142 people serving a week. We have that many people coming every week. But if all of us served, we can do it. If all of us got involved, we need life group leaders. We need greeters. We need people to reach out to others. We need mentors. We need, people are, man, the, uh, Astrid, the Austin Disaster Relief Network called me and they said, man, there's needs. The city of fire, the Round Rock Fire Department said, Benito, all these needs are coming up and here's what we need to do. God is using us, but we need people that are saying, Benito, I am going to see the miracle. Look at verse 10. Everyone serves the good wine first when the people have drunk freely, but then the poor wine. But look what it says, but you have kept the good wine until now. He looks at the groom and says this. And it's funny. Notice who gets the credit. Not Jesus, not the servants, but the groom. He's smart enough not to take credit for it. The servants, through their obedience, made it possible for Jesus to extend his miracle working power and the disciples to put faith in them. And here's the thing that blows me away. Most of the people didn't even see it. That's how God works. We're going to be there in a year. Worship's going to be happy. People are going to be saved. Marriages are going to be restored. God's going to be doing amazing things. But we'll look back and we said, remember when we needed 300,000? Remember when we needed to add those volunteers? Remember when those things were taking place? We prayed. We fasted. God did it. 
We saw it. See, in this story, there are three different types of people. There were the disciples who were the spectators to the miracle. Then there were the wedding party who enjoyed the miracle. Then there were Mary and the servants who participated in the miracle. They touched, they felt, they were all over that miracle. Here's my question to you this morning, Freedom Church. Who are you going to be? Are you going to spectate the miracle? Are you going to enjoy the miracle? Are you going to say, no, I'm going to get my hands all up in that. I want to touch the wine. I want to lift it up. I want to fill it up. I want to be part of that miracle. And here's my prayer. Here's what I've been asking God. I want to invite you to be part of that miracle together. Let's see God do awesome things. You can be part of the miracle by doing three things. By praying, by serving, and by giving. It's going to cost $2.75 million to build a building right now. We have available for us $2 million in the loan to draw from. We have another $450,000 in the bank. That leaves us. God has done it a miracle. We just have $300,000 left to raise. When it's all said and done, that's going to be awesome. And when our total loan and lease payments will be calculated, once we get to the new building, it'll be $3,000 less than we pay right now. It's going to be awesome. But I'm going to ask you to do every one of those things. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to serve. And I'm going to ask you to give. In your chair, there's a pledge card. We had a vision dinner. And this is what I want you to pray. I want you to ask God what he wants you to give. Man, they're about to send us some stimulus checks. I believe it's right in the right time. I pray that God speaks to you. That maybe God wants you to make, give that a portion to the Lord. To the building. Above your tithe. Above your offering. See, if, if 300 people gave $1,000, there's the money. 300 people gave 1000 a hundred people gave three thousand dollars if 30 people gave ten thousand i don't know but here's what i want you to ask you give nothing more give nothing less than what god wants you to do but wholeheartedly do whatever he tells you thanks again for listening to the freedom church podcast we hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith don't forget to subscribe and share with others